Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast edition. Um, we are coming to you uh, with the latest episode, and I am your host, Kevin McDonald, an executive producer here. Last episode focused on our line conversations from last week's on-air episode on New Mexico PBS, where we talked about the heat wave, the uh, cannabis industry, and all the complications that come with starting up a new industry, especially around a substance like cannabis. We also talked about the controversial statues uh, around New Mexico that continue to bring a lot of discussion and even some uh, heartbreak in many cases and not a lot of answers about what to do with them moving forward. In this, we're going to, this episode, we're going to cover some of the other content from last week. We had interviews around the PFAS problem in New Mexico. These are chemicals that were used in firefighting foams, have been uh, really put to bed for a while now, but the contamination lingers because these chemicals don't break down in water or sunlight, uh, and so they're migrating through the groundwater around at least half a dozen New Mexico military installations. And uh, we have started an investigation about a year ago called Groundwater War to follow this. Our talented environmental reporter, Laura Pascas has been covering this issue at length. And there's been a lot of developments of late, so we wanted to dive into those. In the show, we had excerpts from a pair of interviews, but we're going to bring you them in full. And we're going to start out with uh, a official from Cannon Air Force Base where there has been high levels of contamination near the base, even some high levels of PFAS in the Clovis City water supply. The wells have now been shut down and testing is underway on the state end of things to see where the plume of this contamination may be headed and if there are more uh, wells at risk in Clovis. Cannon also uh, set to be doing their own testing uh, starting here in a couple of months, but that will take several years to complete before they even uh, decide, identify the plume and then figure out next steps in that process. But in the meantime, Cannon just got word that they uh, have been awarded a pilot project to study ways to filter the water there on base, uh, which could be applied maybe on a larger basis, the technology at least, uh, once that plume has been mapped. So let's kick things off there. Here is correspondent Laura Paskus with Chris Gerke from Cannon Air Force Base. Welcome, Chris Gerke. Thanks for joining me on New Mexico in Focus. The Air Force announced a $16.6 million contract to AECOM and Bryce for um, a pilot project at Cannon Air Force Base. It will be a water treatment system installed at the southeastern portion of the base to treat PFOA and PFOS. Um, It'll test three different pump and treat methods. What are you trying to learn from this project? Well, so to step back a little bit, this project is more than just a pilot study. So in the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Acts of CERCLA, before you're able to do any interim actions, we must perform what is called an engineering evaluation cost analysis. So that takes a look at all the different treatment options and data that's available to us 
and then provides us different options on executing an interim corrective measure. And so that's what this project is, is we have an ECA, is the engineering evaluation cost analysis, you'll hear it commonly referred to as an ECA, with a pilot study. So with that pilot study, it's going to feed data in there to give us more information to finalize a full interim corrective measure that can be implemented here while we're going through our remedial investigation. So with that, uh, with our knowledge of our groundwater flow, the aquifer, and the information that we had pulled from the site investigation through our PFOS PFOA, we looked at the best location for this pilot study would be at the southeast corner because that is typically where the groundwater flows out of and that's also where we saw our highest PFOS PFOA impacts. And so with that, this pilot study with the uh, our extraction wells, the data that it's gonna help provide us is one, it's gonna show us capture zones. So how close, how far apart do these extraction wells need to be put? Also in this process, they're going to be pulling samples. So they'll do a treatability study. So they're gonna look at either granulated active carbon ion exchange or combination of the two to determine what is the best method for treating PFOS PFOA. So there'll be that study portion of it. And then once that is completed, then they'll go into the design and the actual construction of the pilot study that'll get put in. And then throughout the operation of the pilot study, that data, the samples will be taken and it will help inform that ECA. At the conclusion of this process, then we'll take the information from the ECA, and if it does inform us that a full-scale pump and treat system would be the most viable option for treating the, the uh, aquifer here at Cannon Air Force Base, then this system, the pilot study that we've created, is done in a way where it's flexible and made to be expanded upon. So then we can go back and actually expand this system quite easily to go to a full-scale pump and treat system on the base. So what kind of a timeline are we looking at just for this pilot project, um, when the system will be built and when, when water will start being pumped? Thank you for that. Uh, so actually, this is gonna be a very fast project. Uh, we've already had on the second, so we were awarded the contract on, or we awarded the contract on May 27th and we had our first site visit from the contractor on June 2nd, followed up shortly with June 8th. We had our actual kickoff meeting with the contractors here at the base to perform additional site visits and planning. So with that, they will actually be out on the base on the 14th to start pulling the samples to do that treatability study. So we're gonna roll right into that treatability study and the design phase very quickly with tentative plans for, you know, construction to start around early next year. And with that, it'll be about, and, and these are tentative right now, but about a one year construction time frame, And then that will be when the operation will begin and we'll start collecting the actual samples and data from that. And so, yes, the, the pumping and treating portion of that will commence then. So looking at early 2023 for the actual operation to start. 
Okay, so the Air Force press release says it can pump 600 gallons a minute to remove PFAS and PFOA. Um, what happens to that water once it's been treated for those two specific types of per and polyfluoroalkyl substances? Um, and then what happens to the PFAS and the PFOA that's taken out of the water? So right now the treated water will be re-injected back into the aquifer. So we'll take it out, treat it, and then re plunge it back into the aquifer. Um, right now, as far as the disposal of uh, used filtration equipment, that will depend on where we're at in the regulatory process down the road because things are changing. So as new guidelines come out, um, that will affect how we handle that waste that's generated at that time. So whatever the current regulations are is what the Air Force will strictly follow. So if you find out that this pump and treat system works or one of these particular systems works better than others, um, is this something that you can tie into the larger water system, tie into the city of Clovis's water system? Kind of what's the future look like here? Uh, with this, I mean, we're right now just looking at the, the current pilot study with the ECA so we can get an interim action. And with this interim action, it's looking at the for the most part, it's to mitigate any further off-base migration of PFOS, PFOA. So those further interactions with potential of Clovis and stuff, I can't say for sure, but uh, we are partnering in with our local community doing our public meetings. So we open all uh, public groups to come out there and bring comments and concerns and questions and participate in that manner. So you and I have talked in the past about a remedial investigation contract that was awarded, I think, um, last summer in August 2020. Can you give me an update on where that is, if that work has started yet, and what that remedial investigation is and how it ties into this pilot project? Absolutely. Uh, so with the remedial investigation, the last time we talked was we're going through the process of developing that work plan, and that'll have to go out for a 30-day um, regulatory review, we'll get that back and we'll incorporate those comments into it and then we can finalize that and actually go commence field work. Right now the, the field work was slated to start in October of this year. Uh, right now we are actually working to get that regulatory 30-day comment period going now. So we're a little ahead of the curve so it just depends on how many comments we get and what it takes to incorporate those into the work plan and then finalize it. Because uh, once we get that finalized, we can actually start work as soon as possible. Um, we've been closely working with our contractor to make sure that once we have that finalized, we can start work as soon as possible. And the first stage that we're planning will be uh, collecting off-base groundwater samples and soil samples from the local outside area to help start delineating that uh, PFOS PFOA impact off-base. So there's a long lead time between the awarding of that contract and the, the development of a work plan and the implementation of the field work. The pilot project contracts seem to come together a lot more quickly. Can you talk about why that is and how, how that sort of thing happens? So it's, it's a different process. Um, with the RI, it was going through our normal mechanisms for acquisition and with the work plan it is a lot more in depth and as we go through this other one with the ECA and pilot study there will be a work plan but they're doing they have 
have some upfront work that's already done for the sampling portions of their work plan so they can do their bench scale testing and studying and analysis. So as that's going, they'll be developing their work plan in tandem. Whereas with the remedial investigation, there's no work that could be done up front. This work plan needs to be fully developed and finalized and vetted. So we are pushing that as quickly as possible. And, and as I said, hopefully we're shooting to be out ahead of schedule. So that, that is our goal to keep pushing as quickly as possible. And with your other question that you asked is how will these two interact as they get out into the field and start collecting data from the remedial investigation, all of that data will be sent over to the ECA contractors and that will actually go into formally, you know, fully developing those potential interim actions. Okay. So the Air Force and AECOM have done these sort of pilot projects elsewhere, like Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. What have you already learned about the process of pumping and treating these two PFOS and PFOA, and why do these different methods need to keep being tested in different pilot projects? For us here at Cannon Air Force Base, this pilot study is important because each area that you go to has different chemistry in their water. So um, as some are familiar in Clovis, New Mexico and the surrounding areas, we do have very hard water. And so that has to be taken in consideration in your design and how you build it. Uh, because when we do a full scale system on this, we wanna make sure that we build something that is going to last and we don't want to have to go in there and keep replacing it and we don't want to potentially have what is called breakthrough. So um, you want to build the system in a way that it has long-term effective usefulness on it. And so that's where these pilot studies come in handy to be able to come in here. And with this, not only will it also feed information to give us a, a better ECA, but we'll have the base infrastructure there. So at the end of this, and ECA, when it's done, we'll be able to go to a full scale setup in most of the infrastructures there already. A lot of times when it comes to an interim action, you may only do an ECA, so that ECA process may take a year or two, and then you get to start the process of putting that interim corrective measure in place. With this, we're ahead of the curve by having the pilot study in there, and if it does show us that that full scale is the best option, we've got that infrastructure there we can expand on it and continue operation as it is but expand it to the full-scale operations so what would you like people living um, on the base and near the base to understand about this project and um, cleanup efforts going forward well i think the biggest thing that i would like them to understand is and in the, our last public meeting we've said it that we do listen we would like y'all to become, you know, come to our public meetings, participate. We are listening. We hear your concerns. We understand that um, everybody's concern is clean water in and around the areas. They want us to take action. And this is what we're doing. We've pushed hard and strive to push this investigation forward as rapidly as possible and have looked for different methods that we can implement to meet the community's needs and concerns. And with this eco project and pilot project, we believe that that's really meeting the need and that first step towards a full scale interim corrective measure. And you have a public meeting coming up soon. Can you tell our audience about that? Yes, that'll be June 14th 
it'll be via Zoom and it will be uh, five o'clock p.m. Mountain Standard Time till 630. And we have put out a press release on that. And then on our PA website under the environmental tab contains the information to attend that. And everyone is welcome to join and attend. And then if you are not able to attend that, we do record these sessions and make it available at the same location. All right, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on New Mexico in Focus. I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You can read all about the reporting that Laura has done for the Groundwater War Project on our website. Just search for New Mexico PBS and Groundwater War. Or you can just head to nmpbs.org, click on Local Productions, and then you'll see growing or, uh, Groundwater War right there. We have interviews, uh, independent reporting, enterprise reporting, timelines, uh, all the information you need to know how serious this problem is here and what officials are doing to try to make sure we have protected groundwater, surface water here in New Mexico, as well as drinking water. Uh, the other thing we wanted to do was catch up with New Mexico Environment Department Secretary James Kenney. His office has been very active on this front, in fact, suing the military to try to compel them to clean up this contamination. They are hamstrung in many ways, as we've outlined many times, because on the federal level, there is no lifetime limit applied to PFAS consumption. And with a new administration, the president and the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, have seemed optimistic about putting one of those lifetime limits in place and drinking water limits uh, or drinking water um, specifications in place. We have not seen that action yet, but there is a lot of hope there. In the meantime, as you will hear Secretary Kinney say, they are trying every which way they can to do what they need to to protect our water, which we know is so valuable here in New Mexico. Uh, and again, we have edited down versions, excerpts of this that were in the show last week, but we're bringing you our full interview with Secretary Kenny here now. Once again, turn it back to Laura Paskus. Secretary Kenny, welcome to New Mexico in Focus. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. So the Air Force recently announced a pilot project that they're getting ready to um, uh, contract. It's a water treatment plant. As you understand it, how does this pilot project tie in with cleanup plans at Cannon Air Force Base? Laura, that's a great question. The um, the pilot project that I understand Canon is undertaking is uh, a system that will prevent PFAS contaminated wastewater, uh, groundwater from migrating off base. Um, in terms of a larger delineation and cleanup of the area, uh, the, the Air Force hasn't been in contact with us to talk about that. However, the New Mexico Environment Department is leading an effort there. Okay. So the initial testing that was done that revealed that there was um, contamination from PFAS at Cannon Air Force Base and Holloman Air Force Base, seems like those tests were done back in 2017, four years ago. What do we know right now about where these plumes have migrated or moved? So again, that's a great question. The, the time frame by which we're 
trying to motivate the Department of Defense to do something about this. There's that effort. And then there's the effort that the state of New Mexico is independently taking. So we've been unsuccessful, maybe up through the recent announcement that they're going to address some of the migration at Cannon. Um, but the state of New Mexico has gone back to the legislature, sought appropriations, and has begun a study in the area to both understand the delineate, to know where the, the plume is, and then to figure out ways to clean it up. So we're in that process. How much has the state already spent or has been allocated that New Mexico taxpayers are having to pay for this contamination from the U.S. Air Force? So numbers that quickly come to mind, uh, we have a $1 million appropriation uh, to focus on this area to delineate both Cannon and Holloman, the PFAS in those locations, as well as about, um, about $4 million with respect to those particular counties to understand how it's impacting drinking water, public drinking water systems, and then to put money towards those systems if they are impacted. So all in all, I can easily count up about $5 million um, have gone into those particular areas, uh, as well as statewide. There's statewide efforts going on. Um, we're also spending uh, an inordinate amount of time um, across all the departments, staff time as well, focusing on analyzing results, uh, communicating results, understanding and communicating risk to communities. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a big endeavor. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that risk. Why is the state concerned about these particular toxic substances? What do they do? What harm do they potentially cause? So um, PFAS is one of those chemicals that once it gets into the ground or groundwater, it's really hard to remove. Uh, when it gets there, it continues to migrate in the groundwater. Um, and then when it comes into contact with drinking water sources, uh, typically drinking water sources are not treating for that type of chemical. Um, and therefore we ingest it, we shower in that water. Um, you know, that's the water that comes to our houses. Uh, so when that happens, P the science around PFAS is that it is a suspected carcinogen, causes cancer. Um, it, it gets involved in reproductive issues. Um, it causes not only diabetes, but um, some of the chemicals cause diabetes. Uh, they cause weight gain, high cholesterol, things like that. So it's a, it's a chemical that once in the environment and moving into the way we live our lives can cause some public health issues uh, that we're very concerned about. So I think it's fair to say that the Air Force and the state of New Mexico are not necessarily cooperating on this cleanup. Um, can you characterize the relationship that the Air Force and the state have had since, since regulators were notified in 2018 about this contamination? Um, I, think it's, I think when you look back at the path we took in the state of New Mexico to hold the Defense Department accountable, um, we didn't set out to litigate that we, we, we wanted action quickly when that wasn't available or that wasn't on the table. That's when we litigated because in reality, litigation based on the timeframes that were proposed to us seemed like the shortest um, path forward. Uh, 
the, the, the relationship we have with our bases is actually quite positive. They, you know, the servicemen and women contribute a lot to the state of New Mexico, and we value that, obviously. Um, it's the notion that we will somehow wait to protect New Mexicans, wait to protect our economy. Um, that's the part that we have to be intolerant about, and that's why we're in a lawsuit. So, and as I understand it, the Defense Department filed a lawsuit against New Mexico when regulators tried to compel the military to clean up. Um, recently, the Biden administration filed saying that this lawsuit was, that the state had acted arbitrarily and capriciously. What's the status of that lawsuit right now? Yeah, so it, if, it might be helpful, as you point out, to just to just acknowledge that the first lawsuit was suing the state of New Mexico to prevent PFAS cleanup at Cannon Air Force Base. Um, that lawsuit is continuing to move through um, through the court system, and uh, we stand firmly by we made the right decision that PFAS is a hazardous substance, a hazardous waste. Um, it, for the reasons we've talked about, it can affect people's public health. Uh, therefore, we are going to continue to focus on making sure that gets cleaned up. Um, I would hope that under the current federal administration, under all the movement by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to acknowledge the risk of PFAS, that that message gets to the Department of Defense as well as the Department of Justice, and they understand that New Mexicans should not have to fight to clean up contaminated groundwater, and they, they are on the wrong side of this issue. So it seems to me that there's sort of, this, this issue's like blowing up on all different fronts, and federal taxpayers, you know, will be the ones to pay for any eventual cleanup. New Mexicans are also paying for these testing um, programs to see where the plume has migrated. Um, we're also having to pay for a lawsuit <laughs> um, defend ourselves against the Air Force. Do you have any sense of how much the legal side of this is costing New Mexico at this point? It's again a great question, and between the investment of the Department of, um, sorry, between the investment of the Attorney General, the state of New Mexico, the executive agencies in the state of New Mexico, um, the potential harm to our economy through the ag industry as well, another sort of line item in in the the long list you you analyzed. Um, I don't have a number for you. I think that would be a great uh, effort for New Mexico to put that together. Um, yeah, the, the, the notion that we're at loggerheads over what we all acknowledge is a toxic pollutant that's, we know why it was released, when it was released, how it was released. It is merely a matter of getting to cleanup that we're fighting about. That doesn't make sense to any of us, and I'm sure it doesn't make sense to the feds at this point either, um, but we need to thaw that, and they need to come forward and do what's right by our state. So you recently testif testified before a committee in Congress asking for the federal government to, to help states like New Mexico. What do we need? What do states need from, say, the Environmental Protection Agency? 
Again, uh, I think that's a great question. And one of the reasons I was very eager to testify before that um, full committee of the Senate Environment and Public Works was to lay out our needs. And our needs are, are one, to have PFAS treated as the toxic chemical it is. Um, molecules of, of PFAS don't understand whether they're labeled as a hazardous substance or, or not. That's, that's us putting that on there, on them. Um, we need a comprehensive way to tackle PFAS. And that's what I was suggesting to Congress, that we list PFAS as a hazardous waste under federal law um, as intended by Congress. And we do that immediately so that we have a way to manage PFAS from the time it comes into the state to the time it's disposed of and everything in between. It's managed in that way. So we're not just finding it haphazardly and then having to deal with the public health impacts that way. Um, we also need a drinking water standard. Uh, as, as you know, and, and many viewers probably know, there is no national drinking water standard for PFAS. Uh, states are taking a leadership role in setting those. And when we move forward to address, we as states move forward to address PFAS as a hazardous waste or as a pollutant in drinking water, the federal government gets in our way and sues us. That's our experience here in New Mexico. So in one way, we're being innovative and entrepreneurial and solving the problems in communities, and then we're roadblocked by, by the Fed. So we need federal leadership on these issues. So the New Mexico congressional delegation, the Democratic members of the congressional delegation, have been uh, vocal about um, supporting New Mexico and trying to get the Air Force to act on cleanup. And yet there, there, hasn't, there hasn't been much action out of that. Is there anything that Congress can do to be helping states like New Mexico? Uh, I, yes, I think there's a number of things that Congress could be doing. Some of the things I uh, mentioned are listing PFAS as a hazardous waste and uh, setting a national drinking water standard. Um, but those are executive agencies like EPA that would do it, but Congress can put them on a timeline to get it done. In addition, um, there are the, the National Defense Authorization Act has money in it for states to, who are uh, dealing with the implications of PFAS that money could be deployed directly into the state of New Mexico to help offset the cost that you so eloquently pointed out that New Mexicans are, are now paying for uh, with respect to litigation, with respect to um, testing, sampling, delineation, and ultimately remediation. So we've known for decades that PFAS are a problem to workers, to, to public health. Um, some governments like the European Union have moved forward with trying to regulate it. What do you think the holdup has been in the United States in terms of getting these toxic substances regulated? I, you know, as we think about these toxic substances, um, we apply typically really good science in making decision make in, in making decisions uh, about what how to regulate them. Our hair is on fire with PFAS. We cannot, we have to move quicker than we've ever moved before. And I was thinking about this analogy, Laura, when, when COVID came into 
uh, existence and changed our lives. That was a viral agent, a, a biological agent that we all got behind and worked diligently to protect public health. I think we need to move with that speed on PFAS and get out of the bureaucratic thinking and the reasons to say no have to become reasons to say yes. And I think that is exactly what the federal government needs to do in here. Um, but states need to do it as well, and they can't be hampered in the process of doing that. So science-based decision-making, but at the speed in which the, that this problem necessitates. So the EPA has said that PFAS is a priority for the Biden administration. When I've requested an interview with their experts um, to talk about PFAS, plans to regulate studies for, for a greater number of the substances, they've told me that it's premature to grant an interview and talk about any of this. Do you think that PFAS is a priority for the EPA under the Biden administration? I do. I, I think it is a priority. I think that in any transition, especially the last transition from the Trump administration to the Biden administration, there's a, a significant amount of work to be done, not only to stop the train that was moving down the tracks, but then reverse course. Um, and I think sorting out some of the bureaucracy and understanding how to move forward comprehensively is what's going on now. Um, I am optimistic based on my conversations with the, with the feds that they're gonna lean in heavy, but again, Leaning in heavy versus leaning in now are two different things. And I, every day we think about the, the people who are impacted by PFAS in New Mexico, um, from property values to you know their, their, their health. We can't, we can't wait. So we will continue to put as much pressure on the Biden administration as possible, and we will continue to help them act even if they're not sure they're ready. Mm -hmm. So. PFAS is a national problem. Like when I look at the news, I see all kinds of different states and communities are dealing with this problem of military contamination of local water. And various states and communities have tried different strategies, basically. Do you see, um, where do you see states or communities being effective in trying to compel the military to actually do this cleanup? Yeah, I, and I'm an avid reader of everything PFAS and an avid consumer of anything um, related to the topic. And what I see and what has been said in other states is, is when the state, um, along with the congressional delegation, along with its citizens and environmental groups, that combination, speaking together and speaking forcefully, is what sometimes can change the Department of Defense in, in making a, a site that's a lower priority, a higher priority. Um, I think we've been gregarious in our approach and we've had good support from everyone I just mentioned, um, but it's, it's not enough. We are trying everything possible to move our litigation, to move the Department of Defense, to move the feds, uh, and, and it is something that we if there's another idea out there that we could do, we will do it. Yeah, for me, it seems very intimidating for states to be squaring up against, you know, potentially the, the most powerful institution maybe in the world. Like how do states effectively take on the U.S. military on this? I, you know, I, 
as somebody who's been a regulator, specifically ha has done enforcement for the feds before this role that I'm in now, um, you, you have to lay out a really good plan. And we have a really good plan that we're, we're, we're implementing. Um, but states can't be afraid. We are, we are not only the, the incubators of good ideas for the federal government, but we have to hold the federal government accountable. And we did that a lot in the last administration, and I'm hoping in this one we will be more lockstep, and I'm, I'm confident we will be. Um, but in any relationship, you have to know your boundaries, and, and ours are not going to uh, be at the expense of waiting for federal action. We're going to keep pushing forward. Um, when I, way back in, in the early days when I was with EPA, uh, I was one of the first people to sue the, the Bureau of the Mint for chromium emissions coming out of uh, their, their coin um, facility in Philadelphia. And it was game changing to the point that the Secretary of Treasury, where the U.S. Mint is housed, contacted the administrator of EPA. And, you know, don't underestimate the power of being 24, gregarious, and wanting to change the environment and the landscape. That's what we need, and that's what we're doing, although I'm not 24 anymore. Well, Secretary Kenny, thank you so much for joining me on New Mexico in Focus. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Last week was a big week for the newest member of the U.S. House of Representatives. That is New Mexico's own Melanie Stansberry. Of course, she had a landslide win in the special election uh, just a little bit ago. And so she replaces Deb Holland, uh, who is now the U.S. Department of the Interior Secretary. And she was sworn in early last week. We had the chance to catch up with her uh, and uh, have a interview with her on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, about her top priorities as she heads into this new role. And so we wanted to bring you that as well. And again, in the show, we just didn't have time for our full interview. But here, we're going to bring you that full conversation with host Jean Grant, where she talks about what it's all been like since the election, which was a whirlwind in and of itself, plus what she is chomping at the bit to get working at in Washington, D.C., and so we hope you enjoy this interview and love to hear from you, as always, what you think about her priorities, but let's turn it back over to Jean Grant now. ...where I worked on water policy at the national level, and when you look at what's happening right now with the drought across the West and climate change, it is the next big major issue for the West, and I'm excited to work with my colleagues to help... There's so many ways to keep up with the show through uh, the website, NewMexicoInFocus.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. We're in all those places. We always love to hear from you. Let us know about any of the things you heard in this episode or give us topic ideas for future episodes. We love it all. But that will do it for this episode. We've got much more in store this week. We'll have more episodes coming at you very soon. But we want to thank you, as always, for listening. 
want to thank the New Mexico and Focus team, senior producer Matt Grubbs, producer Kathy Wimmer, of course, of course, host Gene Grant, and I am executive producer Kevin McDonald and the host for this podcast. We'll be back with you soon, but until then, stay safe and stay healthy.